0: Good morning. I'm tall, so this has to come up. (laughs) It's good to see you this morning. As everyone has probably said to you already, happy 4th. We're glad you're here, and I'm glad to be a part of this service and the 11 o'clock service. This is a real honor for me, and I appreciate Morris's invitation. You know, as I was watching Katie do the children's time, I thought of the the young pastor that... uh, Decided he would do a children's time. And he had all the children, you know, as they gather up front, he was talking. He said, he said, children, I have a question for you. He said, what is gray and has a bushy tail and uh, lives in the woods? Nobody said a word. He said, all right, children, I know you know the answer to this. What is gray, has a bushy tail, and eats acorns and lives in the woods? Not complete silence. He said, all right, children, what is gray and has a bushy tail and, and eats acorns and jumps through the trees and lives in the woods. Not a word. And finally, one little boy lifted his hand, and he said, uh, Preacher, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> I could see that happening. I've done children's time through the years, and it's amazing what the children come up with, the, the, the comments they make. This morning, I want to read a passage from the Old Testament. Would you please stand as we share this scripture together? It's taken from the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus. And it says Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. But you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night, and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on the right and on the left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and chariot drivers. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and, as, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled from before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be accepted in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. We well, were riding home from church one Sunday morning. A little boy asked his parents to share. His parents asked him to share with them what he had learned in Sunday school. Well, the little boy said that the Sunday school lesson had been about Moses and the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. And he said... Moses called the astronauts in Houston, Texas for assistance. They flew over to Egypt in a jumbo jet, erected a a steel bridge, and then Moses and the Israelites were able to move their army and tanks to the other side of of the sea. Well, the mother stopped and she said, Now, son, you know quite well that your Sunday school teacher did not tell you that story. And the little boy said, I know, Mom, but if I were to tell you what really happened, you'd never believe me. You know, truly the parting of the Red Sea is perhaps one of the greatest Old Testament miracles. Through a series of devastating plagues, God had delivered his people from their Egyptian bondage. And under the leadership of Moses, the Lord had led them to the bank of the Red Sea with the Egyptians' army in hot pursuit. It looked as though that their freedom would be short-lived. In the 14th chapter it says they cried out to Moses and it said it would have been better for us to have served the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness they said and Moses said fear not and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and then Moses stretched his hand out over the sea and the scripture says the Lord calls the sea to go back God divided the waters of the Red Sea enabling his people to to go on dry land to the other side. It was a tremendous miracle, wasn't it? And it impresses upon us the fact that God is able to work miracles for his people. And throughout the Bible, we find instances when God divided the waters for his people, when prayers were answered and deliverance came. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego delivered from the fiery furnace. Daniel from the lion's den King Hezekiah, remember, prayed and God extended his life. Then we have those miracles of Elijah and Elisha. And then you move over in the New Testament, all the miracles of healing that Jesus performed in the Gospels. And then in that 12th chapter of the book of Acts, the church prayed and Peter, remember, was delivered from prison. You see, all of these and many more testify to the times when God divided the waters for his people. Such was the experience of Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, who along with seven other men were lost at sea. In answer to their prayers, God sent a seagull for food, and it landed on Rickenbacker's head. In answer to their request for water, God sent rain, and after 21 days, three weeks at sea, God answered their prayer for rescue. You know, when we ponder the miracle that God worked for Moses and the children of Israel at the Red Sea, and many other accounts, both in scriptures and in our Christian experience, we stand amazed at God's power to work miracles for his people in answer to their prayers. But we are equally reminded that God does not always divide the waters as we want. Sometimes we pray fervently and faithfully and nothing happens. We pray for a critically ill loved one or friend to be healed, and they grow worse, and they die. A wife prays for her husband to come to Christ, and he remains unconverted. Parents pray for a wayward child, but the child goes astray. There's not a one of us in this room this morning that could not cite examples of our own in which we feel as though our prayers have gone unanswered. And you know the Bible is full of unanswered prayers as well as answered ones. Moses prayed to remember to enter the promised land. But he died on the east of Jordan. David in the Psalms cries out on numerous occasions. Oh my God I cry. He said in the daytime but you don't hear me. Isaiah said you have hidden your face from us. Jeremiah called out in anguish and said thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayer should not pass through. Habakkuk the prophet cried. "O oh Lord how long will I cry. And you won't hear me. You ever felt that way. Job struggled with the question of unanswered prayer didn't he. His crops were. And livestock were devastated his children were killed his body was covered with sores his wife deserted him we can scarcely blame him for asking God what profit shall we have if we pray to him Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane remember said my father if it be possible let this cup pass from me if there's any other way that we can accomplish the salvation of humanity let it happen However, Jesus came to realize that it was not the Father's will to remove the cross, was it? For the Son of God, the waters were not divided. You see, friends, do you realize that Jesus knows what it's like to beg God to change his mind and then to hear the Father gently but firmly say no? Recall earlier we mentioned that in the Apostle Peter in the in Acts chapter 12, was delivered from prison. Also, in that same chapter, we read of the death of James, the apostle. But he was put to death by the sword. Now, we can feel certain that the church prayed for James, but he was not delivered, but he died for his faith. Perhaps the most familiar example of unanswered prayer was God's refusal to remove the apostle Paul, what he called his thorn in the flesh. Paul was no spiritual newcomer, was he? He was a spiritual giant. He wrote much of the New Testament, suffered uh, suffered hardship and persecution and shipwreck. He started churches all over that ancient world. But even so, God said no for his plea. And Paul went on serving and suffering to the end of his day. It was the late Harry Emerson Fosdick who once said concerning Paul's thorn in the flesh... That he was compelled to make the best of it and to let it make the best of him. Think about that. Let it, his adversity, make the best of him. I read not too long ago that trials are sent not to discourage us, but to develop us. Friends, there are occasions when God does not divide the waters as we would desire him to, times when we don't receive the answer we want. Times when God doesn't come through with a dramatic rescue or a miraculous healing. And so what I want to do in the remainder of this message, I want to share some things for the Christian believer to remember when God doesn't come through as we think he should. There are times when God does not divide the waters. And, and, And those times, I want you to try to remember this. First of all, Remember the proven dependability of God's love. In other words, focus on the times when God did come through for you. There are more times when God did see us through those times that he chose not to divide the waters. We think of those times that he did divide the waters for us. Remember the proven dependability of God's love. When the heavens seem like brass and your heart is breaking and everything is going wrong, remember the good things that God has done for you and the ways God has blessed you in the past and praise him for that. Remember the words of the hymn, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will what? It will surprise you what the Lord has done. Friends, God has proven his love for you and for me more than enough to see us through the times when, according to his will, He allows us to pass through a dark valley. Remember the proven dependability of God's love. Secondly, remember the sufficiency of God's grace. You know, the essence of the Christian faith has never been the absence of problems or pain, has it? But the sufficiency that God's grace is able to see us through the midst of those problems and those pains that we experience. Remember God's word to the Apostle Paul when he pleaded... For God to remove the thorn in the flesh? He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. We can rest assured that God promises to give us his grace to see us through those dark and difficult times in our lives. When God doesn't divide the waters, remember the proven dependability of his love, the sufficiency of his grace. And then third, remember the revelation of his purpose. There's a familiar passage in Romans 8 that we know and we quote often. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to become conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn of many children. There's something interesting in that verse when it says that those who, who, are, who are called for his purpose, according to his purpose. It doesn't say purposes, it's singular. There's a great thought here. God doesn't have many purposes with the believer. He has one consummate purpose, and that is that we are conformed to the image of his son. Friends, God's ultimate purpose for calling, for justifying, for saving, for sanctifying the believer is that we might be conformed to the image of his son. And the way we are conformed to that image of Christ is not through ease or comfort, but through struggle, oftentimes through suffering, through trials and tribulations. Think of the times in your own life when you felt you really grew in your faith Was it during those times when you had it easy and everything was going well? I dare say it was your faith was being tested and you struggled with some difficulty, some hardship, some burden. I dare say it was during those times that you actually grew as a believer. Writing to those group of persecuted Christians in that first century in the little book of James, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you Encounter various trials that the testing of your faith will produce patience. There's an illustration that it's a story told of an old miner in Colorado stirring some melted gold. He would turn up the heat and turn down the heat. And some tourists who were watching him said, one of them said, what are you doing? And the old miner said, I'm refining the gold. I'm trying to get the dross off and the dirt off. He said, I turn up the heat and I turn it down a little more and waste comes to the top and I skim it off and I turn it up and more impurities come to the top and I skim them off. The tourist then said, well, how do you know when it's done and you can turn off the heat? And the old miner said, when I can finally look into the gold and see the reflection of my own face. Friends, when God doesn't divide the waters and we're going through the refining process, remember the revelation of his purpose, that we're to be confined to the image of his son. There's an old, I remember an old preacher saying one time that Christians and a tea bag have much in common. Neither one is any good until they go through some hot water. And I thought, there's a lot of truth in that. When God doesn't divide the waters, remember the proven dependability of his love, the sufficiency of his grace, the revelation of his purpose. Remember the uniqueness of his person. I believe the Bible wants us to learn to rejoice more in who Jesus is rather than what he's currently doing for us. Not just his latest blessing or his most recent gift, but his unchanging person. You see, if we simply rejoice in the Lord when our circumstances are good and we fail to rejoice when things are not so good, then we haven't learned to rejoice in the one who never changes. Learn to rejoice in the person of Jesus, who he is, not just what he might be currently doing for you. There's a wonderful illustration in the 10th chapter of the book of Luke. Jesus sent out his disciples to, on a mission trip, and when they returned to report their experience, they were almost beside themselves with excitement. In essence, they said to Jesus, Lord, we've been raising the dead and healing the sick. Man, this is fantastic. Hot dog, this is wonderful. Even the demons are subject to us. But Jesus said, don't rejoice because the demons are subject to you. He said, rejoice because your names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. Now, what was he saying? I believe he was saying there are going to be days when the demons aren't going to be subject to you. There are going to be days when everything is going to go wrong. You're going to work and pray and serve, and nothing is going to happen. you rejoicing something that never changes your relationship with me. Rejoice that you are my child, that you're redeemed by my death on the cross, and that your name is written down in glory. In other words, rejoice in me. When God doesn't divide the waters, remember the uniqueness of his person. I'm almost through. Remember the mystery of his ways. Listen, we need to learn, I believe, to distinguish between the acts of God, what God does, And the ways of God, what's God up to? It was was the act of God to allow Moses to live, what, 40 years in the wilderness to prepare him for what? To lead the children of Israel out of bondage. It was the act of God to allow the Apostle Paul to be cast into prison. It was the way of God to bring about most of the writings of the New Testament. It was the act of God to allow his son to die the barbaric death on the cross, but it was the way of God to bring about the redemption of the world. Remember God's word in Isaiah, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. Try to interpret God not by what he's doing, but what is God up to. When God doesn't divide the waters, remember the mystery of his ways and then remember the promise of his tomorrow. Remember that Romans 8, 28 we looked at earlier? All things work together to, for good to them that love God. It doesn't say when, does it? It doesn't say when they will work together. We may not live it to see it come to pass. In Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter of the roll call of the heroes of faith, it says all these were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them from a distance. I love the story of the foreign missionary who was returning home after 40 years of service. On the same plane was a famous politician returning from a hunting expedition in Africa. As they... As they stepped off the plane, a band was playing, and a great host of people had gathered to welcome the politician home. But no one was there to greet the missionary. He checked into a hotel, and in the quietness of his room, he began to pray. He said, Lord, I've served you faithfully all of these years, and no one was here to welcome me home. And then in his heart of hearts, he seemed to hear the Lord say, my dear child, remember, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Friends, for the child of God is not the best yet to be. It says, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, not a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. When God doesn't divide the waters... Remember the promise of his tomorrow. And then finally, remember the comfort of his presence. It's been said that the reality of God's presence is not dependent on any place, but only upon the determination to always set the Lord before us. Our problems come when we refuse to bank on the reality of his presence. You see, friends, regardless of the circumstance, no matter how difficult the situation, how severe the trial, how heavy the burden, the child of God can always count on the presence of God. Did he not say, I will never leave you nor forsake you? You ever noticed in that great 23rd Psalm that in the midst of that Psalm, the pronouns change. It begins by saying, the psalmist said, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. And then in verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me. Thou anointest my head with oil, the valley friends of trouble brings the presence of God into focus listen, when God chooses not to divide the waters, he will give us grace to enable us to stand on the shore his presence to go through the furnace of affliction and his love from which nothing can ever separate us perhaps you've heard the story of Horatio G. Stafford. In the year 1873, Stafford planned a European trip for his family, but at the last moment, because of business concerns, he decided to remain in the States and sent his wife and four girls on ahead on a ship. A few days later, the ship was struck by another vessel and sank in a matter of moments. Stafford's wife was rescued, but their four daughters drowned at sea. Upon reaching England, she cabled her husband a single message of two words, saved alone. Spafford left on the Nick ship available, and while en route to England, he asked the captain of the ship to inform him when they had reached the approximate place where the ship had gone down and where his daughters had drowned. At the proper time, the captain informed him that they were in the general vicinity where the girls had perished. And Spafford walked on the deck of the ship and gazed out over the sea, reached into his pocket, pulled out a pen and paper, and wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let us pray. Loving God, teach us to trust you in every circumstance that we will not be overwhelmed by the struggles of this life. Lord, give us the peace and the power that flow from you that through storm and stress we may learn to abide under those everlasting arms. And Lord, deepen our awareness of your faithful presence that we may possess the faith to believe anew that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor heights nor depths nor any other creature can separate us from your love through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.